Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. I'm glad to see that you're all here today. Thanks for joining us. And um, if those of you are here for the first time today, my name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor, and I'd love to get the chance to meet you after our service. And so stick around for a few minutes when we finish up. But I'm, uh, I'm excited you're here because we had our grand reopening last Sunday, and so we made a big splash and started a, a new series of messages. And we're talking about fresh air. <laughs> this, is a, this is a time of year when there's a lot of good fresh air. You can see the mountains. Um, but we're talking about what is it like to live in God's kingdom? And God invites us to do life His way, to live in His kingdom while we live here on earth. And when we do that, it's like breathing fresh air. It's, there's something really amazing about learning who God is and learning to live the way that He's instructed us. Really good things flow from that. And so we're talking over throughout this whole month, what is it like to live in God's kingdom and what, what do God's people do and how does that impact us? And uh, to kind of get today's topic launched off, I want to I show you a quick video that shows some guys that like fresh air so much that they would move to remote parts of the country to get it. So check this out. Like a mountain man sometimes I like camping and hunting and I'm wearing my flannel today so you know there's that's a TV show about these guys that just go to live in very remote parts of the country because they love the fresh air and I think they like being away from people I think that's that's the idea there and uh, you know it's sort of appealing I don't know if you sometimes feel like man I wish I could get off the grid I don't want to deal with my phone I don't want to deal with the traffic and the freeways it'd be nice just to be out where, where there's no one. And uh, so some people pursue that dream and they, they go live in seclusion. And the interesting thing about this kind of, it's, kind, it's a kind of isolation. I was thinking about it and I think people in our city can actually do that too, in a way. You can maybe not be geographically isolated like those guys are, but you can live your life relationally isolated and kind of insulate yourself from, you know, you interact with people when you have to, you know, work or the grocery store, but sometimes you can just not really allow there to be people that that's come into your bubble <laughs> or, or you get to know other people and there's this isolation that can happen. And whether you, if you choose to live isolated, uh, it, ha it has a way of creating self-focused people, I think. It's really hard, whether, whether you're geographically isolated or relationally isolated around a lot of people, it's really hard to resist that strong pull towards just living for myself. And some of those guys, maybe they're, 
Maybe they, they live out in the, in the woods because they have to, but maybe, maybe they just want to do life their own way and live for themselves. The truth is we were not designed to do life alone. We weren't designed to be in isolation. Sometimes people do have to be isolated for periods of time out of necessity, but God intends for us to find a tribe of people to belong to. So today we're going to read a passage of a really powerful story of people banding together. A big, it's like a big, enormous tribe of people that come together and really make a commitment to God and to each other. And so I'm, exci- I'm really excited to read. It's, it's from the book of Joshua. But I remember when I was first, when, when I first married my wife, Erin, and we were living in Riverside, and we were, we were sort of new to this city, and so I didn't know a lot of people. And I had a job where I worked nights, and I was off during the day. And so I felt, I was like, new city, new marriage, new job, and I, was, I just, I felt like really lonely. I'd be I'd like, we'd, I'd go to our, our apartment during the day, because that was when I was up, and um, I'm like, man, I need to meet somebody. Like, will anybody be my friend? <laughs> I was looking, I felt I'm like, this is, feels pathetic and desperate, but I need people. <laughs> so I met somebody, you know, I, we were living near a university and got connected to a guy that would, you know, grab coffee or lunch with me, and I really appreciate that. And so I, I had some sit-down conversations with a guy, and the friendship was, was meaningful because I didn't have a lot at the time, but I, st- I still wanted more than that. I didn't want just somebody I could have coffee with. I wanted people to do significant things with. I wanted to do more with my life than just work and eat and sleep and have coffee with people. I wanted to do stuff that made a difference. And that's what you can do when you're part of a tribe, when you're part of a big group of people moving in a direction. You can get that. You can get the community and you can get the mission. And so today I want to read a passage that will encourage you in a way to find your tribe, find who your people are, and get yourself on a mission. And so I'm going to read from chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. This is actually the last chapter in the book. And there's just a few verses on your handout, but most of them are going to be here on the screen. You can follow along if you like. And so uh, this 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 is a period where Joshua was a really uh, successful military leader, and so he led the nation of Israel, which was millions of people at the time, um, into the Promised Land. And they conquered it, subdued it, and God led them through a lot of amazing victories. So this is towards the end of this big period of conquest. It's like this big decision moment is about to happen. And so it says Joshua, you know, he's seasoned with war. Everyone, they got, they've seen God really provide for them. And he says, uh, he assembles all the tribes of Israel, and Shechem, and summoned Israel's elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. So right now, we're going to read this part where God is speaking to Israel, telling them about all the incredible ways that God took care of them over the past few decades. Actually, past few hundred years. And so it's just like this brief history account of all that God did. It feels kind of ringy and um, hot. I don't know if there's a way to like t- turn down the volume a little bit. Thanks, guys. Um, sometimes it just distracts me, but maybe if you're not distracted, we're good. Okay, so, and I can go louder too. Uh, verse, in verse 2, it says, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. <clears throat> 
So what I want to, I, I, we're going to go in the next part, and I've highlighted all of the things that God did for them. Go to the next slide. Says, so God says, I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates rivers, river and led him throughout the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. God says, I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the hill country of Seir and Esau as a possession. So you can see highlighted what God has done, really moving people around strategically. Next slide. It says, Jacob and his sons, however, went down to Egypt. Here's God says again, I sent Moses and Aaron. I defeated Egypt by what I did within it. And afterward, I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and you reached the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen as far as the sea. If you've, if you've studied the Bible, maybe, maybe this, this might reference some stories that you're familiar with about the Exodus, the Israelites leaving. But you can see again all that God has done. He sent, he sent Moses and Aaron. He's the one that defeated Egypt. It wasn't Israel. God is the one that brought them out. Next slide. We're moving, moving on in the history here. Your ancestors cried out to the Lord, so he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea over them, engulfing them. Your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt. After that, you lived in the wilderness a long time. That's a funny verse because it actually was a really long time. They were wandering in the wilderness. If you know that story, it was, that was a brutal time. A lot of people died during that time. But wandered in the wilderness. He says, later, here's what God did. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. Even when it comes to obstacles and opposition and enemies, God is the one behind the scenes at every moment. I handed them over to you. You possessed their land, and I annihilated them before you. Keep going. Um, Balak, here's more, more history. Balak, son of Zippor. You don't need to remember all these words and names, by the way. This is a flyover. Uh, the king of Moab sent to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Baor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he repeatedly blessed you. And again, God says, I rescued you from him. Just nonstop. This whole story, nonstop of God intervening, rescuing, and helping. These Israelites. Next slide. You then crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The Battle of Jericho. If you know this story with the trumpets marching around. Jericho citizens, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hethites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, fought against you. But again, I handed them over to you. I sent hornets ahead of you, and they drove out the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by your sword or bow. They did have weapons, and they did use their weapons, but their weapons would have been useless if God wasn't the one behind it all. I gave you a land you did not labor for, and cities you did not build. Though you live in them, you are eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. So this is a picture of, of blessing and provision. They got houses, they got food, and all that stuff was given to them, not by themselves, but by God. So there's this amazing history that Joshua very quickly just recites. They would know all this. They would remember the stories. They would remember the battles. They remember Egypt and all that God done. And he's pointing every step of your life. God was there and he was making a way for you. He was providing, he was protecting all the good things in your life. It came from God. He's like, I want you guys to remember this. And so they did walk through a lot of pain. The people of God, you know, there's that whole period in the wilderness. That was very painful. They lost lives in some of those battles. There was loss and damage and pain. 
That's what life has in it for all of us. But God points out that all of the high moments in their personal history was, was God's doing. In fact, things would have been a whole lot more painful and a lot more damaging if God hadn't kept stepping in to rescue them. Every good thing was the work of God's hand. Think about it, like when he talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the birth of every child, God did that. He was behind that all. Every meal that they ate, God provided. When evil people tried to damage them, it was God protecting and fighting for them. When they walked through the doorway of their comfortable homes and got to pluck those grapes off the vine, it was God who gave all those things to them. When their business and their work was thriving and business was going well, which they were an agricultural society, so livestock and fruit and all that, when that was going well, it was God causing the increase. All of this favor, it's amazing. All of the blessing that the people of God experienced. Why did God keep blessing them year after year? Was it because the people of Israel were exceptional humans on the planet? No. You only have to read a few stories. No, no, they're, they're not, and they're a whole lot like us. <laughs> Fickle and forgetful, and sometimes we forget what God has done. No, it wasn't because they were so amazing. Simply because God picked them to bless them. God just picked him out out of all the people on the planet. Starting with Abraham. Even Abraham's parents, the guy who started all, it references the guy named Terah. His, his father's name was Terah. Terah was not a God-following believer in, in the living God. Terah, they worshipped other gods. Abraham was probably taught pagan religion. So even Abraham didn't have a godly upbringing. But God plucked him out of his family and started a new family line. Something really amazing. And uh, you, point, you look at this and you're like, wow, what credit can we take? Or what, you know, for the people of Israel, what credit could they have taken for the, where they were, the land of blessing that they were in? So Joshua points out every good thing in their lives traced back to God's direct involvement. And I'll say, I'll say this, when I, when I read this, when I think about this in my own life, it's very humbling the moment I realize God was behind all of the good things in my life. This is, this is very humbling. When I look back, man, all those good things, God, God was at work. And unless you have an exceptionally arrogant mindset and you think, no, I did this, unless, we, we have to recognize that God's been at work. Just think about your own life for a minute. If you have kids, think about the birth of your children. Man, God brought that life into being. He's the one that... We just sang a song where it's your breath in our lungs. He's the one that puts breath in our lungs and my kids' lungs. Think about your own birth. How much control did you have over that? <laughs> None. <laughs> You're here because God brought you here. The good, think about the good people that have crossed your path, that have blessed you, that connected you, opened opportunities for you. All those people that you've connected with, God was making those connections. Those close call moments of danger in your life where things could have gone horribly wrong. God was there, protecting. You know that. You can, you can, you can some, sometimes you don't see his hand, but you can feel, no, I, there must be a God. He was there when there's healing in our bodies or when we're still sick, but we can endure. God's behind that too. Simple things just like the sun and the rain and the mountains and the fresh air, all of those things God gives us. Holidays, fire pits, vacations, Family members, notes of encouragement, simple things like that. God's behind it all. 
So the people of Israel, when, when Joshua recounts, look at, look at your life and look at all that God has done, they never once saw God. Not once did they see a physical hand come down, pluck grapes, and put it on a plate. <laughs> no, they never saw him. He was invisible the whole time. That the Israel, and Moses was the only guy who kind of like saw God for like a second, and that was really intense, but no, nobody else actually saw God. And it's true. In our own lives, we don't actually see his physical hand. So the big temptation, the big lie that we sometimes believe is that I'm the one that brought the good things into my life. My skill, my cunning, my smarts, my, my navigating myself into the right opportunities. God would say, no, it wasn't you. All those good things, it's been me the whole time. In fact, Deuteronomy, I love this verse, when it comes to just finances, Deuteronomy 8:17, God says, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. God says, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. Anytime you get a paycheck, God was the one giving you the ability to earn that money. So in light of that, man, that's humbling. If that's true, if there is a God and he's behind all the good things in my life, praise God for all his unending goodness in my life. So at this moment, you might, you might agree with me. You might say, I think that's true. I do, th- I do think God is behind it all. And if you, if you feel that way, you probably feel gratitude. You're like, oh, praise God. But others, you, know, you might be in the room and you might be a little skeptical. And you might say, I'm not so sure that God's that involved in all the details. I think maybe there is a God. But is he really in control of all those details? I don't, I don't, I'm not so sure. And so you might feel, if that's you, you might generally feel indifferent toward God. Or, taking a step further, there, there might be people here in the room, and you might say that God has not blessed me. God has harmed me. I, I had positive feelings toward God, but God has dealt me a bad hand in life. I'm actually, I'm pretty ripped off. And you might have anger towards God, if, that, if that's where you're at. You might disagree with all, everything, everything I've said so far and say, no, God, God has dealt me a bad hand. And if you feel indifferent or if you feel angry toward God, and if you want to change that, I can help you. We can help you with that. Because many people have walked that road of getting bitter and frustrated and disappointed in life because we do walk through pain and trouble, experience death in life of people we love, things like that. And, and there, there is a way through that pain to get back to God and connect. There really is a great value in dialoguing about your spiritual journey and your relationship with God. So if that's you, if you, if you, if you have a negative feeling towards God and you want to change it, let me know. I'd love to talk about that. For the time being, though, we'll, we'll keep moving. Let's, let's just say we agree. Sure, God has been behind all of the good things in my life. Let's agree that he's protected me from more bad things than I even realize. Man, my life would be a whole lot worse if he wasn't involved. Let's agree that for the moment. If that's the case, let's look at Joshua's next statement. Verse 14. He says, Therefore, given all that, given what God has done in your life, given all the good things that you experience come from him, therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. 
Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. I'll talk about that in a second, but he's saying, like, get rid of all that stuff that distracts you from being wholeheartedly committed to God. He says, but if it does, and it's kind of like, this is like a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing, but he's like, yeah, but you guys, but if it, if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, maybe, maybe you are angry or bitter or frustrated at God, then choose for yourselves today, which will you worship? The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? He's like, if you don't worship God, here, take your pick. Of all the common things that people pursue nowadays, take these guys, take those. You just pick, pick the God that you want to serve. Maybe it's yourself. It says, go ahead and take your pick. And here's, here's the line that you may have heard before. If you've been in church for a little while, you may have heard what Joshua says next. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. So what, he, what he's saying is decide how seriously you're going to take God. How seriously have you taken God in your life? Follow him. If you, if you still think that your own hands have created the blessing in your life, then if all the good things are a work of your own strength, then what you'll probably do, no, what you will do is you'll end up serving the gods of this age in our current culture, which are the gods of wealth and success and material good things, the gods of pleasure, the gods of self-care and comfort, the gods of my kids' success and their future, worship that and pursue that. And of course, the God of my own spiritual autonomy and pride. Those, those, are, the, those are the things that people, if they don't serve God, those are a lot of the big things that people go after and really pursue nowadays. Back then, in Joshua's time, they, the people had little golden statues and things that would represent those same kinds of things like wealth and prosperity and fertility, all those things. We don't have gold statues. You don't usually walk into people's house and see them, but the pursuit is there and the desire for those things is there. So Joshua asks them, which of these cultural gods and priorities are you planning to chase after? You just take your pick. And so the people reply, you know, they just, they just remembered all that God did. And here's what they say. They replied, We will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He freed us. He gave us freedom. And he performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among all the peoples whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us the peoples, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We, too, will worship the Lord, because he is our God. It's a good statement. It's a good answer. I like that answer. They, they, they say, well, jo no, Joshua, we're with you, man. We're going to do we're, Yeah, you've led us all this way, and you show us how to follow God, and we're, we're with you. But Joshua told the people, he's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, guys. I don't know how serious you are about this. He says, you, you, you'll not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. This is sobering. This is a sobering. This is like, you guys, if, you, if you've come all this way, and you've seen God's hand in your life all this time, and then you still turn away from him, it is not going to be good. 
the end of the story is not going to be good. Think about how good he's been. So that's, that's a sobering statement. And whether we we're willing to admit it or not, God has been very good to us. You may be able to skate by and think, no, it was me. But the truth is, God has been so good to us. He has been patient with me and you. He's been very kind. He's been very generous. In fact, God gives time for us to repent and to turn to him. The Bible says his kindness leads us toward repentance. So he gives us all time and space and breath to to decide how seriously we're going to take him. And if I'm going to turn away from my sins. But it doesn't last forever, though. There's not like an... It it expires. The kindness expires because there will be eventually a day of reckoning where he holds us accountable. The ultimate way that God has demonstrated his kindness to us is by sending Jesus, his son. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And all of those sins where we we went off track and we really blew it, we're, we're supposed to die for that stuff and be in hell and eternal separation from God forever. But Jesus paid for that when he died on the cross for us. And so that was a real gift. That was an incredible kindness that we never deserved. And we can decide, you know what, Jesus, because of that, you are my Lord. You're now my king and my ruler. I'm going to do my life your way for the rest of my life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life working towards obedience to Christ because you died for me. And so if, if, you, if you've never done that and you want to learn more about how, do I, how would I do that, there's a spot on your connection card to let us know. You want to know, how, how would I follow Jesus and recognize this incredible gift? Without a doubt, God has been very good to us. He demands our exclusive worship, though. He requires wholehearted commitment to him. He, he expects, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a churchgoer, no, no, you're going to be more than a churchgoer. You're going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. That sounds good on paper, but it's actually really hard because it, it requires wholehearted commitment. Everything else has to be left aside. And uh, not just for a few hours, once a week. <laughs> not just occasionally. It's every day. So Joshua, he pushes back on the people and he says, I don't think you guys are that wholehearted about following God. And I think, and I actually don't know if he really believed that or not, or if he's just trying to like egg him on or just trying to push back. I don't know what he was doing. Because they, they, say, they say, no, we will worship the Lord. He's like, okay. Okay, I thought so. I thought so. So if, if, you were, if you were standing in the crowd and Joshua was like, I don't know about you. I don't know how serious you are about following Jesus. Maybe you like Jesus, but maybe you still pursue other priorities in your life. How would you respond in this moment? How would you answer Joshua? Would you be confident like this and say, no, we're going to worship the Lord? Or would you be sort of unsure? Would you be like, I probably need some more time to think about that? Or maybe would you be irritated, like, no, I'm not doing that. Imagine you're in an enormous crowd of people. So, like, I don't know how many was there. It says, it refers mostly to the the leaders. There's probably at least thousands. There could be a million people. But, like, lots, more more than you can count. And there's all these people standing by you. Big crowd. And maybe, maybe there's men, maybe there's women, maybe there's whole families, and there's kids on their dad's shoulders, and... There's young teenagers, you know, boys and girls standing next to their parents, and you're, you're standing in this big group, and the, the entire crowd just erupts with, we will worship the Lord. 
in a big group of people like that, that'd be like energizing. You're like, oh, let's go knock something over. Like, <laughs> oh man, this, yeah, we're going to worship. That's what we're about. That's who we are. We're doing this together. And so Joshua, he tells the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. So Joshua says, then here's what you need to do, though. Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord, our God, and obey him. He tells them, get rid of the foreign gods and turn your hearts. It's interesting because these are God-fearing people, right? I mean, these, are, these have been the people of God. Why would, he, why would he need to tell them, turn your hearts to God? Well, it's because our hearts have a tendency to drift. And we get distracted in life by shiny things, <laughs> by lucrative opportunities, we get distracted by people and relationships and things that we want. And there's our heart's desire. We, no, we get, we get distracted. We also get distracted by sadness and grief and loss. That can turn us bitter against God, too. Our affection, in a lot of ways, for God gets diminished. And our heart can drift. Our heart can drift in a lot of ways. And this commitment to worship the Lord to be all in for him, it's got to be made over and over again. No, we will worship the Lord. I'm going to get rid of all those other priorities in my life. And I, th I think there must have been something really powerful about this whole exchange happening in a really large group of people. It wasn't Joshua and like his one leader, even just three guys. It was, at the time, it was the people of God altogether. It was a whole tribe. It wasn't mountain men living on their own. It was a people together. And it, it kind of reminds me of when I sensed the call, God calling me to start a new church. We started the church in 2020, and it was two years before that, that God, I believe God telling me he was wanting me to start a church. And I didn't know when or where. I didn't even, I actually didn't even know where Santa Clarita was at the time. <laughs> and, um, but I, I, uh, I was, it happened when I was on this uh, big training retreat with other ministry leaders where our church network has a program called the Antioch Project. And so I was with a bunch of other pastors and people like me who were not pastors, but were training. And so I was in this big group and um, God, I feel like God was speaking to me. We were, we were up in the mountains. So actually, I really like the mountains, by the way. So <laughs> anytime I can get to the mountains, I like to go there. So we're in the mountains. I feel like God spoke to me and I felt like I need this. I need to share with this group that God's calling me to plant a church. And it was a little intimidating, though, because on this last day of this training program, it was all the, all the men, so the women were in a room and the men were in a room, and we were in a big circle. So it's, it's pastors, but it's also just lay guys, too, like committed members of the church that were deeply invested and committed. There's just a group of maybe 25 men that I really looked up to and respected. And so... I, uh, I shared. They had asked, like, hey, it's got to speak to you about anything while we're here at this mountain, mountain training program. And um, I shared about it. And it was amazing. It was everyone, you know, first people share. I let other people go first. I, I don't want to be the first to share. So other people shared things that God was speaking to them. And I shared that I think God's calling, I believe God's calling me to plant a church. And 
when I shared that, they all got together and uh, they had me go in the center room and they all um, got around and prayed for me. Big group of men, you know, put their hands on me and, and shared scripture and there was this massive, it, was, it felt tribal. It felt like these are, you know, the elders and the young guys and my peers and it was just a big tribe of men praying for me for this new calling that God has given me. And it was, it, I really needed that because I think I would have been tempted to go back on my commitment or maybe doubt what God has said to me. But the fact that I had shared that and declared that, my commitment to following God in front of a group of men, a tribe of men that I really cared about, there was like a powerful solidifying of my commitment. It solidified my resolve. And I, I think God knew that I needed that. Some, some guys don't need that. I, I needed that. I needed the reinforcement. And so I think that the people in this story with Joshua, I think in some ways they were like a big family. They were family members, but it was more than it was more than family though. Many of them were friends and neighbors, but it was more than that too. They weren't just friends and family and neighbors. There was there were probably like classmates and business owners and employees in their society, lots of social relationships on many levels, but I think it was more than all of that. I think in this moment, they felt more like soldiers in the army of God. This was an enormous group of people on mission together. If you, know the, if you know this story, you know they had spent decades under Joshua's strong military leadership. So they journeyed together, they battled together, they bled together. They even saw some of their friends die together. This was a huge group of people that were, they weren't just hanging out, having family reunions and sipping coffee. They were advancing God's kingdom purposes during that time. God had a plan and a desire for his kingdom to move forward, and they were the ones moving it forward together. Back then, God's people were given the task of taking physical land and battling physical enemies. Today, as the people of God, we're given the task of rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness and battling spiritual enemies. We rescue, God has given us the ability to rescue people from captivity to spiritual darkness under Satan. And so we do that as a unit, as a tribe, as the army of Christ. And so today, my, my encouragement to you is to find your tribe. You are not meant to live alone. You're not meant to live for yourself. You're not meant to live in isolation, relationally. You're not meant to live and build your own little kingdom on this planet and do what's good for you and just make sure that you're taken care of and your kids are taken care of and we're good and we've got it figured out. No, it's, 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 you're intended for so much more than that. All that stuff that we build for ourselves, our own little kingdoms, it's gonna burn anyway. It's all gonna burn up in the end. And so one thing that has really been helpful for me as I've been on this journey is I've experienced that true community forms when people are on mission together. It is fun to be a part of a community. It's fun to build relationships, but there's something very special about those relationships when you're on mission with people. God invites us to join him in his kingdom where life is refreshingly different. And when we join him, he invites us to join in the work in his kingdom advance. So we have the option of pouring our lives into meaningful, significant work that is going to impact eternity. We do physical things, we eat and we drink and we talk with people and shake hands, those are all physical things, but as we do that, we're actually interacting with eternity when we 
talk to people, encourage, share truth. There's, there's ways that what we're doing now impacts the unseen things. And that's, amaz that's an amazing thing. So the commitment that Israel made said, we will worship God. It was very powerful. And I think partly because they did it together. Look at the long-lasting impact. The last verse of this chapter says, Israel worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime, which, by the way, was 110 years. And it says about Joshua, when he died, he was just as strong and burly as he was when he was a young man. So God gave this guy some exceptional physical strength. 110 years, and during the life, it, so they worshiped God also during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had experienced all the works the Lord had done for Israel. So let's just estimate if Joshua was 110 and all the people that outlived him, let's, say, let's just guess about 200 years of just wholehearted commitment to Christ. To, to God. That, that's pretty amazing. Imagine now if our church had significant kingdom impact for 200 years. Where would that put us? 25? Where are we at? 2503, right? Wait, no. What's 200 years from now? It's a long time from now. <laughs> I know, that, that actually hurt me a little bit. <laughs> I don't know why that was hard. I should have written it down. I was like, I don't need to write down the math because I'll just know it. Apparently not. Okay. Long time from now. Kingdom impact. So imagine, so imagine you're part of a group of people making kingdom impact, and then your kids do, and then their kids do, and then their grandkids do. You have a whole family line of hundreds of years of people being wholehearted in their commitment to Christ and advancing the kingdom of God. That would be amazing. That's, that's what happened here. So this is a big moment. When they said, we will worship the Lord, that was a big moment. And I want to give you a few examples of what I'm talking about when it comes to being on mission together. So if you were to be a part of a church like this one, you can join the community and build friendships. You can attend. You can attend for a long time but not really have that kind of belonging or missional focus. You have to choose that. So I wanna give you a few examples of this missional focus. One, the very first example is um, when we started the church, um, a team, our, our sending church sent a team out with us. This is our launch team. It was 18 people with adults and kids. And we, have, we poured our, this team made a two-year commitment, and for two years we just poured our lives. You know, almost every night of the week, our weekends, and our money and our time into making this church get started. And I can tell you, the relationships that strengthened and were forged during that commitment and sacrifice, you can't get that anywhere. I think you can get that maybe in the military, when you battle. We were doing spiritual battle together. Another example of being on mission together is our sports camp. So last year and a half ago, we did a sports camp here in the school grounds. And it was a, it was a week-long program. We had um, many, many people come and be a part of that, people that are not connected to God or to church. And even from this, we had one, uh, one person come to Christ and get baptized. And we have another camp like this that we're about to do in June. It's another opportunity for us to be on mission together. This camp takes enormous amounts of energy and resources from us. Um, another example, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, um, we got the truck stuck in the mud. We're a portable church, and uh, the trailer and the truck were just badly stuck. Almost, we almost got two trucks stuck in the mud. But in the moment of need, 
Um, a friend from church came and uh, brought his truck. He actually just uh, left work to come bail us out. And um, the celebration that we had when we got out of the mud was like better than watching the Super Bowl, okay? So it was, we, it was so hard. We, because it was just such a discouraging, rainy day, and just we were dirty, and, and we, God pushed us out at the last minute. It was, there was like a being on mission together that was, you know, I, yeah, I would laugh. Let's tackle another challenge. Another example. Um, just this weekend, there was a birthday for one of the young guys in our church, and his dad planned a time for other men in our church to encourage him, exhort him with scripture, and to call him forward into manhood. And this is powerful. This is a powerful shaping opportunity to, to call people towards God's ways. This is, this is, this is being on mission together, multi-generationally. Another time, a group of men got together to serve one of the women in our church with a bunch of home repairs, and we knocked out. You know, we did baseboards and ceiling fans and cleared out the garage, and, and uh, we just spent hours working together just to serve one, one of the, the single women in our church. Another time, being on a mission together, last week we, our staff went to, uh, it's called a collab. Uh, it's a group where our, our network churches meet to get all the staff members from our network gets together. And at this collab, it was really cool, they made mugs. So there's 15 churches in our network currently. We're the most recent. Um, we, we planted, but there's going to be another church planted this summer, and so the network is growing. But it was really cool. The mug, they made a mug so that as we're sipping coffee, we can pray for all the other brothers and sisters also on mission um, that we're partnering and teaming with. And so our staff was very motivated by being a part of that. And um, one other example is um, one of the guys, one of, the, one of the guys in this photo, um, I had asked him, what, what would happen if we get through this year and our church doesn't grow at all. Let's just say we're the same as when, you know, January 1st to the end, we're the same. Because that's, that's actually a, a fear and a concern that goes in the minds of pastors. What if we don't grow? Especially if we don't grow, get more people. And um, he thought about it and then uh, he's like, that's a good question. And then actually a couple days later he came to me, he's like, I have an answer for your question. He said, if that happens, we get to the end and we haven't grown at all, uh, my wife and I will be there and we'll still be putting our hand to this work and we're going to move it forward however we can. I was like, that's a way better answer than I, I thought you were going to say. That's amazing. It actually really, really encouraged me. So there was a, you know, what he expressed was the kind of commitment that we're talking about today. It's like, we're going to make, if it takes all of our resources and if we don't even see any fruits, we are going to still do the mission that God's put us on. And I actually, I needed that encouragement. So in all these photos, um, there's, there's friendships that I have with guys that are not just like coffee hangout friendships. These are like, we're doing work together. We're serving people, we're sacrificing, we're staying up late. And the friendships that I have, they're so rich. It's so good. It's community, but it's more than that. It's, we're on mission. And so there's something really valuable. I'm inviting you to consider doing that. Many people have found a sense of belonging here, and they've learned that investing deeply in the mission of our church, um, it really is the secret to a deeper sense of belonging. The mission leads you to a deeper belonging. And I, I want more people to know that secret. We want more people to feel that rich sense of belonging. I want to see this tribe grow. And so if you want to make an impact with your life, and if you also want a, a sense of belonging and community, it comes from rugged, sacrificial commitment to Jesus. 
It doesn't work if we're pursuing the gods of this age on the side. When Joshua says, you've got to put that other stuff away. I'm talking about the gods of material wealth, of my comfort, of self-care, of success, the God of always getting enough sleep. That's a God that I worship for a long time. You guys know what I'm talking about. I've got to get my sleep. And if anything gets in the way of that, it's no go. I'm telling you, watch out for that. That's a sneaky God. The God of protecting my kids' schedules, the God of protecting my schedule, or protecting my resources. Joshua says, I don't, when he talked, when he, he probably had things like that in mind when he says, I don't know if you guys are really all that serious about like the wholehearted all-in thing. And he pushed back on them. He's like, it's going to take a lot more sacrifice than people usually want to make. If you want to live on mission and pull into this tribe, you may have to give up some things. You'll have to stop pursuing things that are very, very important to you and start pursuing things that are very, very important to God. You also don't have to do that. You can come here and sort things out. You can investigate following Christ at your own pace. I do want you to have the ability to pursue God and learn more about him as you go. I'm casting a picture for a much deeper sense of commitment than most people talk about at church. So it helps us, when we, if we're going to live a life like that, it really helps us to step out on that edge of faith and really go all in when you look back and you realize all that God has done for you and you realize all the good things I didn't do, God did. He's been leading me to this moment out of his kindness. That's why, that's why I can move forward and trust him. So I don't know your whole life story, but I do bet that God's been good to you. And maybe he's been leading you to this very point in time to get your attention and to give you the chance to make a deeper commitment. Maybe the fact that you were led to this church service today is an act of God's kindness. I actually think if you're here, it's not an accident. I think you're supposed to be here. And so if you would say, if you if you'd say with Israel, we will worship the Lord, then do the things that demonstrate that commitment. And so I'm actually over the time that I was planning, so I'm going to do this last part real quick. Here's a few ways you can join us on mission. These are, this is ground-level practical. One, commit as a member. Decide you're going to embrace our mission and our values. We actually have a membership class probably coming up in about a month. Join a group where you get to know people, you, you break the isolation, you let people know who you are and you get to know other people. Also, invest and invite unchurched friends. You know people that are far from God and we wanna meet them and we want to help show them the way to Christ. So invite them. Also, attend the Men's Summit. If this charged you up in any way, just wait till you get to the Men's Summit. It'll be even more charging. Get evangelism training. Maybe, maybe you, don't really know how to share your faith. You're like, I don't, how would I even tell someone about Jesus? That's way scary. Come to this. Another way, volunteer on the serving team. We're a portable church. We need a lot of help on Sundays. You can jump right in. Also, support the work financially. Give of your financial resource because this also takes a lot of money. So these, these are, actually, we're going to describe some of these things a little bit more in the rest of this series, but which one of these can you start doing? If you already do some of those, Pick one that you haven't done yet. And if you do these, if you do any of these, your heart will move into the work. You'll be, feel this sense of investment. And I've found that I really feel God's pleasure 
as I do things that honor and glorify him. I also feel a sense of belonging and a richness in friendships that goes way deeper than just fun hangouts. I do like fun hangouts. We actually will do a Super Bowl hangout later, so we're going to have some fun too. But here's, here's my encouragement to you today, is to find your tribe. We would love for you to consider investing your whole life in the, in the community of Valley Lights Church. But it doesn't have to be here. There's a lot of great churches in our city and elsewhere that are advancing the cause of Jesus Christ. But let it be somewhere. If not here, let it be somewhere. So next week, we're going to talk more about the fresh air of living life in God's kingdom, in particular when it comes to relationships. There's a way to do relationships where you just don't want to be around people and it's a grind. And then there's a way when you get around people and you're like, oh, this feels so good. It's delightful. I like these people. We're going to talk about how to experience that and how that comes. How does God show us the way to that? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and this powerful story in in Joshua's life and the way that you led him as a leader and a a moment of decision and commitment. I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to firm up our resolve and our desire to sacrifice for the cause of Christ and and things that please you. Thank you so much for all the good things that you've brought into each of our lives and for this morning of chance to be together. Um, Help us to expand your kingdom here in Santa Clarita, and especially in this West Creek region of the city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.